1: Our guest today is COO Alliance member Michael Cedio, the COO and Vice President of the Better Business Bureau serving the Pacific Southwest. Michael Cedio doesn't just work at the Better Business Bureau serving the Pacific Southwest, he loves it. He joined the team in 2008, armed with a BA in Global Studies, planning to have his first professional job while he prepared for law school. Working full-time at the Better Business Bureau and attending the University of San Diego Law School in the evenings, he brought together an awareness of the two related but distinct concepts, which is legal and what is right. Michael fell in love with a career at the Better Business Bureau, and he never intended to have one. Worked his way up through the organization, through just about every operational role, and since 2013 has had the extraordinary privilege of helping good businesses be better by serving as the COO and general counsel. Michael is also an avid hiker, dedicated Star Trek fan, and he's married with two daughters. So, Michael, welcome to the Second and Command podcast. Thank you very much. I love that you're an avid hiker. I'm on a crazy hiking trip right now for four weeks through the the, uh, the U.S. West, and um, you're one of only three phone calls I'm doing during the entire three and a half weeks. So, it's cool that you're a hiker. And Have you done Bryce Canyon? I have not. No, hey. I, I do a lot of really sort of local
0: hiking, and I grew up in the day before, you know, internet and smartphones and all of that. So a fun weekend for me was going outside and not coming back in until, you know, Sunday night. So how old are your
1: daughters? So my oldest is seven and my youngest is five. Oh, you know what? At seven and five, they can do it. I would, I would literally rent an RV next summer or this fall and drive to Bryce or fly into Vegas and do like the three hour drive to Bryce. Bryce Canyon blew my mind. We've done Zion and Grand Canyon and, Glacier National Park and Yosemite, a whole bunch of them in the last, um, three weeks. And and Bryce is another world if you're into hiking and your daughters will love it. It's like a magic kingdom. It's so cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so the Better Business Bureau, now you're also on the law side of things as well. It's pretty unique for COOs to have a law degree, um, but I think there's a lot. I have a background in law. I did my undergraduate degree in law, but I think there's a lot that law brings you in terms of the operational side of the business. How do you how do you pull law in and how do you avoid being too legal in your role? Yeah, that's that's
0: a, a challenge that I sometimes have have difficulty navigating. So let me ask the answer the second part of that first, right? So when I look at something from a legal perspective, it is often impossible to separate that entirely from sort of an operational strategic perspective and stuff, because I wear those two hats, you know, I have to make sure that advice that I give is following a, a is is clearly coming from a legal perspective. And so I will frequently just say, you know, Hey, here, here's the legal aspect. Here's the things that we want to consider here are the strategic, the practical aspect and stuff like that, that I want to consider so that it's clear sort of where I'm coming from. And uh, at the BBB, There's really kind of a a neat connection between those two things because the operational side of things, the the nature of what the Better Business Bureau does sometimes creates a little bit of controversy, right? We rate companies, we handle disputes and stuff like that. And so frequently I'm talking to people about um, BBB's right to report, talking about the First Amendment. I'm talking about things that they might be really upset with us about that. And then the second piece is that I think a legal education actually sets you up to be very strategically operationally minded. One of the things you learn in law school is the the approach to sort of legal analysis, right? So you have issue, rule, application, and conclusion. And that way of thinking, I think, actually Mm. sets you up well to think in the business world, right? You look at what's the opportunity, what are the challenges, how do you make it happen? What's the possible outcome? And so I think that that works really well from that perspective.
1: That makes sense. So you balance it in terms of also your communication with the rest of the organization that it's coming from a legal perspective. Curious how you balance out the legal tends to be kind of the threats and risk mitigation and ops tends to be growth. You know, they're almost polar opposites in terms of their focus. How do you balance that out?
0: I try and make them as complementary as possible, right? So if we're going to do this, Here's the right way to do it. You know, looking at legal as an opportunity. And then I really think that if if an organization, either in-house or using outside counsel, has a good strategic minded business or corporate attorney, they're going to be looking at that same thing too, is right. How does legal facilitate the strategy? How does it help give it a boost as opposed to being the department that says, nope, slow down. You can't do that. If, if that's the legal strategy, that's the legal stuff that you're getting. Uh, I think you need to reconsider that, because while there is certainly an area where you have to say no, you can't do that. And sometimes you have to say that loudly. There's always a way to pivot and say, let's do this where we minimize risk, we maximize opportunity and that sort of thing. That's just the mindset that you've got to have.
1: Yeah. So maybe it's not, maybe it's not a no, it's a not that way, or, or, or maybe it's a yes, but find a better way. What advice would you give to COOs who have to deal with legal counsel, either in-house or outside legal counsel? How do we communicate better with legal counsel? How do we work better with legal counsel? Um, Yeah. What advice would you give us?
0: Well, you want to have a,
1: a rapport with them, right? You want to
0: establish some trust, and you wanna make sure that they take the time to understand your business. Um, We also, even though I'm in-house legal counsel, it's very much a generalist role, and so we still will use outside counsel. And you want to make sure that, let's say they're reviewing a contract with you and you're going over a contract. If they are simply looking at the contract and redlining the legalese and not taking the time to understand your strategy and your approach and the benefit that you hope to get out of that bargain, that that legal advice is really incomplete, right? Anybody can cut and paste a section of legalese or something like that, but it's important to know what the business objectives are and you want a lawyer that does that and you want a COO who has faith that the lawyer is going to have their best interests in mind from a overall strategy perspective. And and that's it, it's really about rapport building just like I think
1: with, with any other business relationship. All right. Let's go back and talk a little bit about the Better Business Bureau itself. Can you Tell us what the Better Business Bureau is today and, and maybe what our grandparents' version of it was. Like the, <laughs> I, I, I always thought of, of the Better Business Bureau as something that was very stuck in the 1970s, early 80s perhaps, and then you and I met a couple of years ago at a dinner that I spoke at for the Better Business Bureau in, in um, Arizona, and I was really impressed with the culture of the whole organization. Hundreds of amazing, excited entrepreneurs just to be honored to be a part of the event. What is it today and how have you changed as an organization? You know, it's really
0: interesting is that as an organization, we have sort of added to as opposed to eliminated. And so there's really two ways to answer that. And if you think about, okay, you hear the name BBB and you think about what your grandparents thought of it. You know, we are a nonprofit business association with the mission of promoting an ethical marketplace. And, we do that by processing complaints and by issuing business profiles with ratings and um, helping people identify ethical businesses and stuff like that. And we, we still do all of that. And we do this other cool stuff that not a lot of people know about, and that's some of the stuff that you saw. So we have our torch Awards for ethics, where we are out there celebrating marketplace role models. We're not just you know, wagging our finger and saying, oh no, no, look at the bad guys. We're out there actually celebrating the companies that are doing it right. And of course, most businesses in America are good, ethical, honest businesses. Um, And we have scholarships and we have um, uh, business accelerator and incubator programs through ethical partners like GoDaddy. And we are working
1: to help make good businesses better in just about every conceivable way. Has the Better Business Bureau had to change or iterate with you know, organizations like Yelp and Trustpilot and Glassdoor and Indeed, where have, have you had to change where there's been other rating services available to rate companies in different ways?
0: There's certainly an awareness that there are multiple different ways to accomplish the, the goal of having consumers know more about a business or a transaction. Um, because we're a nonprofit, I often like to think of those other organizations as complementary what BBB does as opposed to competitors. Um, If somebody is looking at a business, of course, we want them to look at Yelp and Google and Facebook and get a referral from their neighbor. And we want them to check out the business with the BBB, read the content and stuff that we have Um, to the extent that Uh, there's a new awareness to the ways that consumers like to find information and where that they are. Yeah, of course, we adapt to that. We learn from that. You know, it's much more likely that somebody's going to come to us from a generic web search, a Google search or from a business than it is to go to, you know, www.bbb.org and do a search. And so we've learned and made sure that we're offering our content in that way.
1: I would think that the other services that are out there that, that rate companies in different ways might even help the BBB because consumers are being probably more so than ever um, kind of uh, driven towards accepting that. The, the, the third party credibility, like if I'm buying something on Amazon, of course, I'm going to buy the one with the most reviews. If I'm going to a restaurant, of course, I'm going to be the one to, to go to the one that has the best Google reviews. You know, I left two Google reviews on restaurants today alone. So I think we're as consumers being being really focused around that. Has that helped the BBB as well? Or or is, is it like you said that, that you're just so much more of an organization than that anyway?
0: Yeah, I think it has helped. You know, there's a greater awareness of it. You know, if people know to look at, let's say Google and they do a search, BBB is also going to be a part of that conversation. And so they will usually read or review multiple sources and get that information. And so, you know, it's we're we're looking for an ethical marketplace. And to the extent that there are other organizations that help provide
1: information to educate consumers and motivate businesses, uh, I think it's a it's a win win. And you've talked about serving your members a couple of times. What do you think your members benefit the most from, from membership in the BBB?
0: Well, I think that we're an ally for them. You know, I mentioned that we are an organization that wants to help make good businesses better. And we of course have a a tremendous amount of knowledge and experience and data around that point. We are also able to convene resources and partners and stuff like that to bring that together and to share with both our accredited and our non-accredited businesses, quite frankly, because we want them both to be better. And so we're an ally for them. You know, we are there to help good businesses be better. And there's a, a lot of different ways that a company might find value in that, be it a webinar, be it an accelerator program, be it torch award or something like that. And so we're there for them in whatever way they need us.
1: Are there any any programs that BBB offers that you wish your members would you know grab onto or or leverage more than they do? Are there any programs that you guys are excited about that that they're not using as much yet?
0: Yeah, I wish businesses would take a a, a more holistic view of consumer generated content. So, I, I, being in the operations department, the legal department, a conversation will frequently go like this: a company calls up and they say. Hey, you know, I got this negative review and it's, it's not true. And I'm so upset and it's making me mad. And I will say, okay, fair. And here's what we can learn from this. Here's how we can take this and be a better organization. So, so channel that anger, hopefully not in me, but if you want to, that's fine. Um, But let's, let's look at the ways that we can be better. And so understanding that BBB, again, is an ally, as opposed to an obstacle, an adversary or something like that, that's what I'd really like them to do. And some of them, I I think the
1: smart businesses know that and the businesses that struggle, you know, I think they struggle across the board. All right. Let's talk about the org, the org itself. If we are to look at the, um, the organization that you're running now as the COO, how many total employees are you working with?
0: Well, so the, the BBB serving the Pacific Southwest, covering greater Arizona and a few counties in Southern California. We've got just over 120 employees across two states. Okay. And then how many offices? So we have six. So a, a primary major campus in Phoenix, another primary major campus here in San Diego where I'm at. We've also got other campuses in Newport Beach,
1: in uh, Yuma, Arizona, the Cavasu City, Arizona, and Prescott, Arizona. And what's the campus? I was at, at, I guess, what would have been called the campus in uh, Phoenix. Um, I I won't describe what I saw when I was there, but I I was amazed at at the how modern it was. and, And anyway, so is tell us what the campuses are and what they what they serve.
0: Yeah. So it's the place where if you have the grandparents view of the BBB and you walk into it you're going to pull out your phone and check to make sure you got the right address. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. I thought I was in the wrong spot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's kind of what we're going for a little bit. So uh, we, the campus we have in Phoenix and we've got another campus in San Diego. And when we say campus, what we mean is a, it's a, a community center for the ethical business community. So we've got in Phoenix, Arizona, we've actually got three buildings that make up our campus. We've got one, which is the results building. That's where we get results. That's where the staff work. That's where they get things done. We've got the business community center, which is probably the building that you walked into yep. first. This is a meeting center. This is a place for community members, for ethical businesses, to con- for consumer groups. They come in, they use our space, they have meetings, they hold trainings, they do stuff like that. And then we've got our Ignite, Spark by BBB, which is another building. And this is a collaboration and co-working space. And so if you think about the goal of the BBB is to philosophically be a part of the conversation about what it means to have an ethical marketplace, to have buyers and sellers trust each other. The campus is a physical representation of that. Mm. People can physically come together and help to, to brainstorm and achieve uh, that
1: ethical marketplace. Yeah. I like the description of it, calling it the community center for ethical businesses. Cause that's, that's exactly what I felt when I walked in was I felt like I was in a community center, a modern, clean um, white my name was up on a board like welcome Cameron Harold walking in, I was like this is weird where the heck am I it was bizarre but and and then I did see lots of of meeting rooms that were open and available for use or for clients to book um, are your members aware of those services or is that something that you're constantly trying to to make members aware of and, and what's the difference between a member and just a business that's getting rated on the BBB
0: yeah okay so two good questions so Yes, our members are aware. Our accredited businesses are aware, and we want more to be aware, and we want more to use them. And so it's it's a constant cycle of welcoming businesses in, and then trying to make more and more and more aware, right? So we've got roughly twenty thousand accredited businesses within our service area, the parts of Arizona and Southern California, and we will have you know before the pandemic we'd have you know a thousand or so people come through the place that you saw every single month, and so. An opportunity to continue to build on that and to make sure that people know that it is theirs you know that's the beauty of being a nonprofit is it's it's not mine it's not ours it's it's theirs and we want them to come in to use it and so to your second question right so we have businesses that we classify as accredited and sometimes i will slip and use the term member but it's really accreditation and what that means is that the company has applied for bbb accreditation They've gone through a a thorough vetting process, right? We've got standards of trust that we're applying to that company and making sure that they're upholding those standards of trust. And then they're earning that. They're continuing to earn it. They're they're pledging to uphold our BBB ethical standards. Okay. So those are companies that are BBB accredited. We will actually rate every single company that comes to our attention. And the rating system is identical. So accredited, non-accredited, the exact same rating score, the exact same rating algorithm and stuff like that. That's on an A plus or F scale, just like in school. And so a company, you know, and it ultimately represents ADB's opinion of that company. And so a company that answers its complaints, that advertises honestly, that um, has clear contracts, that is walking the talk, can earn an A plus rating, regardless of whether they're accredited with us.
1: Interesting. So the accredited accreditation is their purchasing. Is it a membership? Is that right?
0: Yeah, it's actually an accreditation status, and so in most BBBs, it, it would you talk about it as a membership, but my auditor would slap me
1: on the wrist and say, "No, it's accreditation." So it's accreditation, more like a subscription model. And is that your revenue stream, the accreditation? Then, or how how does the BBB make its money? Yeah, that's
0: our primary revenue stream. Absolutely. You know, we will invite businesses to go through this vetting, and assuming that they pass the vetting. Then they pay accreditation fees, um, a fee to maintain that accreditation, and so we get new and renewing accreditation. And then we will bring in other money through sponsorship programs and stuff like that.
1: Now, do you have partners that 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 are like partners of the BBB, or are these are these more like the platinum accredited members, or how do do you have anything like that?
0: Yeah, we sure do. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that we will work on accelerator and incubator programs. I mentioned GoDaddy, which is a company that's headquartered in right. Arizona. Yeah, And they partner with us on the Empower by GoDaddy program to offer education and training and stuff like that to businesses. And so in addition to offering accreditation to companies, we will often partner with companies that have an equal level of dedication to creating an ethical marketplace. And they might come in and they might sponsor a scholarship. They might sponsor educational programs or something of that nature.
1: Interesting. All right. Through COVID, um, I imagine that you guys faced similar challenges. But did how did the BBB weather the whole COVID storm, or how are you weathering two very different states too, with California and, and Arizona? Yeah, and we had one state, California, that shut down a lot. Yeah,
0: another state, Arizona, that really didn't shut down as much. <laughs> and um, I'm frequently asked, "Well, what's the difference?" And the two states are different in terms of population and density and stuff like that, but the one commonality is that business has struggled in both areas. The struggles might've been different, but they both struggled a lot. And mm. so when we first started to go into the, the pandemic, right? So March of 2020, when we, we basically shut down, we shut down. Well, I can't say shut down. We went remote. We never shut down. We went remote right before the governor in California sh- did sort of shut things down and make them, them go that way. And because we had been working, um, dispersed geographically with locations in Arizona and in San Diego, we were well equipped to do that. I mean, I think that we, it took us 12 hours to shift our core operations from on campus to at home for people. I mean, it was a lot of plug and play, a lot of you know, voice over IP type stuff. We'd already been using Zoom and Google products and stuff like that. So that was really quick. And we're trying to forecast what's going to come. And we're also recognizing that as a nonprofit organization that exists to support the ethical business community, we have a role to play and we have businesses and stuff to support. It's not simply a matter of selling product or anything like that. And so we went into it and very early on, like in April, we said, "Okay, we need to accomplish sort of two things. We need to continue to be able to accomplish our mission. And that means responding to the needs of the business community as they exist now and not as we all wish they were. And we want to do right by our employees. And so rather than do any furloughs or anything like that, we took across the board, we, we took a pay cut and we had entry-level employees took about 5%. We wanted to impact them as minimally as possible. And the higher up you went in the organization, the higher the pay cut went, right? So C-suite was taking a 15% pay cut. Our CEO... God bless him, gave himself the biggest pay cut out of anybody in the organization. And we did that preemptively Mm -hmm. uh, while revenue was still coming in and things were still going well. And then we implemented two other things. We said, you're an accredited business and you're otherwise in good standing, meaning you're answering your complaints and you're advertising honestly and stuff like that. And you can't pay. We're not going to like kick you out. We're not going to say you've done something wrong. We're going to allow you to continue to have your accreditation. And it's not building up. You don't owe it to us, just when you're in good shape, let us know, we'll kick it you know, back in. We had hundreds of companies take us up on that, but wow. for the most part, they were honest and they said, thank you, but we don't, we don't need that. And then we launched a Main Street, Main Street Matters program. And this was us and our partners. Um, in Arizona, you may know Desert Financial Credit Union, they supported that in a big, big way. GoDaddy, lots of other companies helped support that. And these were companies that were still doing well You know, financial services, home services, or something like that, who donated money. And we passed through 100% of that, no administrative, no overhead or anything like that, to a relief program to companies that needed help your hairdressers, your dental offices, your graphic design studios, places like that that actually had to close down. And so we were able to, with our own resources and convening our partnerships, we were able to give these little micro grants to businesses that could, you know, it's not a PPP loan, but it helps them. Sure. Take one month, it helps them renew their sure. life. It
1: helps them do that type of stuff. Pretty meaningful differences. How about in the, in the organization itself? How was it? Um, you said that you kind of went remote or, or went, um, I forget the term you used, like literally overnight, where you didn't shut down. How did it affect the organization? And are you going to continue to have some remote employees?
0: Yeah, I think that the genie is out of the bottle there, right? So there will always be, I think, some aspect of a hybrid arrangement. And the beauty for that is, of course, is that we, we trust our employees, right? We, we have faith in them. They are dedicated to our mission. And so when we say, you know, hey, here's your part of the mission. Here's how you can help advance it. They're going to be just as motivated to accomplish that if they're sitting right outside my office as they are if they're sitting at home. And we made sure that they knew that we were prioritizing their well-being, their safety, their happiness. We did a lot of virtual team building and we tried to really stay connected and stuff like that. And so I think that to the extent that that creates an advantage that people are not sitting in traffic, that they can spend more time with their kids or their pets or whatever the case may be, there's always going to be an element of that. And I think that there's some real value to having people physically come together to do meetings, to collaborate and stuff like that. So I'm looking at a purpose-driven work
1: location. Okay, what is the purpose of your work? And that's where you need to be. And you never as an organization, I would guess, you know, two years ago, if anyone had said you'd have a hybrid and a bunch of people working from home, I, I would have, there's no chance, right? That would have been a, a hard no. Yeah, it would have
0: been a hard no, at least to the extent that we're doing it now. You always have the occasional employee right. that, um, that is working remotely. Like we had a, a person working for us and their spouse, it was in it serving the U.S. Navy, are we located? And we're like, okay, let's create a hybrid arrangement for this person because we want to support a military spouse. We want to support this employee, but that was a one-off. I mean, those were the exceptions. Now it's just a part of what normal operations look like.
1: So do you think these, um, these campuses will continue to exist or will those, will you have kind of a, a new style for those as well? Boy? Yeah. I mean, so we had some real, uh, heated conversation, not heated, but we had some
0: real intense conversations about this. And I'll tell you one reason it was particularly a focal point of, of some talks is because in, in San Diego, right, we have a campus and things are a little bit more expensive in California than they tend to be in Arizona. And in fall of 2019, we actually renegotiated our lease to take to expand our space and to do a bunch of TIs and ex- extend our lease to 2027. And boy, there was a couple of days in the height of the wow. pandemic when we wish we'd maybe waited a little bit. Done that. That. Yeah. You know, but I think actually now, having come through it, at least if I can say where we are, is through it, through it to this point, I think it's actually going to be fortuitous for us because as a lot of places are going hybrid, they need meeting spaces. Yeah. They have employees who want to come in and do co working. And so I think that the same philosophy
1: uh that we we apply to being a hub for places is actually going to be in greater demand. Um that's my hope at least. Yeah, I think you might be on the right train there as well. I think there's there is going to be a huge demand for that fractional workspace and the fractional boardrooms and meeting space. And if your members and accredited members are super aware of that, I think you will see um, some real uptick. So, um, yeah, in terms of the offices being used, what's your intent on on um, on getting your members to start using those? Are you going to start bringing them in, running open houses, you know, making them aware? Because that's a huge opportunity for many of them, I would think.
0: Yeah, all of you above. Um, you know every way that we can share it so you know we have a your conventional sort of awareness campaign we communicate with our accredited businesses all the time about the value and stuff like that because like like a traditional membership organization, right we want to communicate the value of accreditation right So there's a philosophical there's a moral purpose we think for organizations supporting the better business fairly really. they believe in what we do and we want to provide additional value and services and so we communicate that to them and then we communicate it, the public in general, you know, they don't. You don't have to be accredited to use the space. Um, we hope that when you come in here, you maybe want to be
1: accredited. Um, so it, it feeds into the accreditation as well as it being a benefit for accredited businesses. Got it. All right. I want to go back to the pay cuts for a second. You mentioned that across the organization, you did pay cuts five percent at the front end and then up to the highest at the CEO. I've got to imagine that of the hundred and twenty-ish employees that a bunch of them weren't so thrilled with the idea of a pay cut. You know, it's like, okay, I get it, but I still have bills to pay. How do you, how did you manage your way through that? Yeah, it was tough. You know, we are, we were both forecasting
0: sort of, okay, what do we need to do to make sure that we weather this and we can maximize our resources to support our accredited businesses and do right by our employees. And we're looking at all the things that, was, was being talked about, you know, furloughs or reduction in force or something like that. And, uh, at the time, of course, the first round of PPP loans, we were not eligible, right? Because we're a nonprofit, a 501 C six. So we were not eligible and we were just transparent with our staff. You know, we, we, we trusted them. They trusted us. We said, here's the thought process that we went through. Here's what we need to do and why we need to do it. And we had overwhelming support. And I'm sure that, I mean, people are like, oh, great. That's the last thing I need. I I struggle and stuff like that. But people were overwhelmingly supportive of it to the extent that that Main Street Matters program I mentioned earlier, where we were accepting donations and stuff. Yeah. A large percentage of our staff actually voluntarily donated to that program because they wanted to support the mission and the ethical business community and stuff. And so- You know, and of course we were forecasting, the good news is we came out of that having done very well and we were able to in short order in several months, not only reverse the pay cuts, but we were able to bring back to equal the staff that had
1: given the pay cuts. So at the end of the year, it washed out. Oh, So, so was that part of the plan then? Did you plan to make it, make it equal at the end, or was that something you were able to do? Well, we hoped. We, did you, we did we you tell them you were hoping you were going to be able to, or was it management knew you were going to hope, but they didn't, weren't told that. Yeah. We didn't want to dangle that. You yeah, know, good. We, we wanted
0: to sell it honestly and, and not, not sort of trick people into believing it even though we were sincere about it, but we, you know, we didn't say it. We just surprised them with it. And that was a happy surprise.
1: Yeah. My brother did that years ago with his companies. He had to get his employees to take a major cut and uh, got a hundred percent of them to volunteer to take the major cut. And after they all agreed to do it, then he said, by the way, when we're back in our, on our feet again, we're going to try to make you whole. And they were all blown away, but he didn't want to tell them. He wanted to see who was there. Do you think that your employees were on side with that because you are such a cause-based organization versus just, you know, they're working for XYZ widget factory?
0: Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And I think that they see us investing into our team and our staff. You know, there's our CEO. So Matt Failing had said um, when he was being asked by... Somebody at one point about some of the benefits and stuff he spends on staff, right? And he said, "Okay, we spend X amount of dollars to bring in food and feed our staff and stuff like that." And they're like, "Well, how can you justify spending that money on your staff?" And he's like, "Well, how could I justify not not doing investing it, yeah. in our team and stuff like that?" And so they see that we're sincere,
1: and so I think they trusted us and they believed in the cause. Yeah, I I have a course that I launched um, about six months ago called invest in your leaders. And it's all the, the strong leadership skills that every manager needs to be good at. And I was talking to a CEO a while ago, and he said, I'm worried that if I invest in my team, and I have them all go through this course, they're going to be so skilled up, they're going to quit and go somewhere else. I said, well, okay, but what if you don't invest in them? They don't have the skills and they stay in your company and run it. He's like, oh yeah, that's worse. I'm like, well, then like, yeah. grow your people, right? Yeah. What's your focus as a leader? Where do you focus your time right now? Well, I believe in servant leadership to the extent that, you know, I,
0: I believe that I fully understand what that completely involves, you know? And so my, my job is to be there for the talented people that, that I have the pleasure of working with. And, and I work with them and um, identifying their goals, their strategies, the way that they want to accomplish things. And, um, and, and really trying to be there for them being a sounding board. Um, There's, there's frequently times when I'm wearing my legal hat, there are people who on an org chart report to me, but when they are executing on a contract and I'm the one who's reviewing it, I, I basically, I work for them, right? I'm providing legal review for them to make the decision. And so it's, it's a, it's a team. And so that's, that's what I get to do is I get to help be a part of a team and I get to listen and be there
1: to help uh, reduce obstacles and cut red tape and get them the
0: resources they need and that sort of thing.
1: So part of part of being on a team is the conflict that naturally happens inside the team. And and sometimes as a leader uh, with people, and then sometimes you with other leaders, how do you, what are your thoughts related to conflict and conflict in the workplace and, and how to actually, um, You know, grow from it and, and I guess have healthy conflict as Pat Lancioni and Five Dysfunctions of Team talks about.
0: Yeah. Well, it's really essential. Um, And that's maybe one of the biggest challenges that I would face, maybe as an individual, as a leader, is fostering that healthy conflict. You know, so you you have a group of people and they like each other and they trust each other and they're professional. And sometimes the negative consequence of that is they will stifle conflict. You know, somebody will be quiet. Instead of offering a dissenting opinion, um, somebody will go along with something that they really think there's a better way to do it. And we're pretty good about not having the disruptive conflict. You know, we don't have people that are stabbing each other in the back or clawing over each other or anything like that. You just don't have that in a nonprofit. And particularly, you don't have that at the BBB. And uh, what I try what I struggle with, what I work on is saying, okay, good. Thank you. Now let's also let's vet the issues, you know, and and this is another area where I think being a lawyer sort of helps in that Mm. two lawyers will go at each other on the issue, vigorously representing their clients and then go out to lunch. Right. And that would be fine. And that's really the type (laughs) of, yeah, you want that among your team. It's just hard to not, it's hard to not take things personally. Right. And so you've got to help people to find their way of, presenting that healthy conflict and resolving it. And the, the bottom line is everybody's a little bit different in how they want to experience and process conflict. And so my view is that it's essential. It's an ingredient of growth and I struggle with helping to achieve that at a healthy level.
1: Yeah. It's it's one of the 12 modules in my invest in your leaders course is um, is embracing conflict and, and dealing with conflict management. So, and I, I have a model that I walk people through, but have you got a model that you use or is it more of just you're not worried about it and you treat it in a healthy way that allows you to work through it.
0: Yeah. We've got
1: some various models that we try to
0: use, but it's, it's nothing at a professional grade, you know, so we will have people fill out sort of, you know, professional user manuals that talk about how they want to be approached and they want to be dealt with and stuff like that. And that's good for a little bit because frequently people will say they want to be approached in a way that is not, really the way that they want to be approached. And so that you have to sort of take that with a grain of salt. And we do sort of a lot of team building and issue processing. And so we're very deliberate about sitting down and saying, you know, Hey, let's, let's identify your issues. And if you think you don't have any issues, that's the issue, right? That's the <laughs> problem. like, let's talk about how we can do that. And we've got a continual sort of growth mindset. You know um, my boss, our CEO is constantly engaged in things like Vistage and stuff where he is learning to grow. He's investing in me to join COO Alliance Mm -hmm. to learn and to grow and to find better ways to do things. And so we go that, we take that back and we, we, I'm sure mess it up a little bit, but we try and apply
1: it to ourselves and learn from it. And that's really our process. Do you recruit for that? Do you look for people that are constantly working and growing, you know, working on growing themselves? Do you look at that in your interviews at all?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean interviews are an interesting process. Um, I I think that it is at best an educated guess into somebody, right? Because depending on the person, they can represent themselves all sorts of different ways in an interview. But you try and get a sense for them, and you know you you probably have nowhere near as good a sense of the person as you think that you do. Um, but then you also invest in them, right? So you hire for it, yes, and then you invest in them and you help them grow. And so even if you think that they have that, it doesn't mean you can sort of rest on your laurels and say, okay, now you've got it, now go do it. You want to continue to foster that for their entire career to be.
1: Mm. How about the, the user manual for Michael Cedio? What would, uh, what would the top three points on the user manual for you talk to us about? Yeah, well, I spent a lot of time
0: talking about how I like hiking and Star Trek and stuff like that. But beyond the sort of the fun stuff, um, you know, I, I think that I like to communicate very directly. And, um, that I will have a sort of a two-way street and whether that's true or not, you know, you'd have to ask my colleagues. Um, but it's, it's really about sort of open, honest, robust conversation. You know, don't worry so much about saying the wrong thing or offending me or anything like that. Just tell me what you need, what you're feeling, what mistakes have been made.
1: And let's have a conversation about a solution. Mm. How about yourself and your skills? Are you working on anything right now? Anything specific where you're working on growing yourself?
0: Yeah, I mean, so I have the sort of the privilege and the challenge of having grown up at the BBB. You know, I started uh, an entry level job making $11 an hour in 2008. I wanted my first sort of professional job as I was going to law school and stuff like that. And I did a little bit of everything. And the benefit there is that I have a real good idea as to the nature of the organization, our mission, what we do, and stuff like that. The bad thing is, I can be 10, I can tend to be sort of married to that. I can say, well, we did it this way when I was over in that position, and stuff like that. And so, constantly learning to challenge myself um, that's something that I always try to work on. And then I want to always this is going to sound lazy, right? But I want to find the easiest way to learn or to do something, right? Instead of sort of doing it the hard way, which Mm -hmm. happens and you learn how to roll with the punches and stuff. But I I want to learn from my colleagues. I want to learn from what other people are doing. And I've done that within the BBB as we have performance groups and stuff like that. And that is good to a point. And then you want to learn about the whole wide sort of universe of leadership thought. And that's, that's what I'm working on.
1: Well, and now that now that you're in the COO Alliance, you'll be able to see that from a completely different perspective, not only from other businesses, other types of industries, but even global. We've got members now from 17 countries. Do you have the performance groups within the, I think you said 88 other offices or regions. Do you have kind of like a COO groups with the other regions or leadership programs within the other regions or with the other regions, or do they operate completely independently?
0: Yeah, there's all sorts of different sort of committees and leadership interactions and stuff like that. And so my personal favorite is the uh, performance slash possibilities group. And so the CEOs of the BBBs get together and this is not all of the BBBs, but it's a select group. You know, it can be, you know, eight to a dozen or so depending on the time and stuff like that. And they get together and they compare all the metrics and stuff like that. And then you have the one level down from them. Yeah, you, know, you have the VPs and the C-suite and stuff like that, and they will get together with their peers at the same dvds and we look at the same metrics and we've got a whole big book of metrics that we pull together and we're looking at that and we're talking about best practices and what we're struggling with and then we've got a moderator um, who meets with both the ceo group and our group and can mm-hmm. help sort of guide us and
1: uh, give feedback in both directions actually so That's great. Yeah. It's huge when that actually happens. All right. I want to roll back to the kind of 21, 22 year old, Michael, you know, you're just getting ready to graduate college. Um, what advice would you give the 22 year old you that, you know, now you know, to be true, but you wish you'd know when you were starting out.
0: Yeah, boy, I was, I was an awkward kid. And when (laughs) I say kid, I mean, into my, my twenties and stuff like that, you know, I, I talk about struggling with imposter syndrome and stuff like that now. and, And certainly I do, but, um, yeah, I would just, I would tell myself, you know, Hey, it's okay. You know, it's, it's going to get better. You know, there was always a time when I was looking to what's next, what's next, what's next and not sort of enjoying the moment. I can't wait until I finish this semester. I can't wait until I graduate. I can't wait until I get a promotion and both being where I am, where I've achieved a level of success in the organization that I work for and being a father I really want things to slow down and I want to enjoy. And, and the, the challenge I have now is not reminiscing too much and, and fantasizing about the same days that where I was, you know, oh, I, I can't wait till the next thing. And then I think
1: back, oh, those were so good. I wish I'd enjoyed them at the time as much as I, I, I think I do now. That's cool. Michael Cedio, the COO for the Better Business Bureau serving the Pacific Southwest. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Second Command Podcast. Really appreciate Thank you time. so much for having me.